Not had enough of me yet? Well, good news. You can now listen to William Hill's Upfront with Simon Jordan podcast right here. The series, hosted by me, gives you a front-row seat to big-name interviews discussing their career successes and failures. Sit back and enjoy. I set realistic targets. So what's your target? targets? Make quarterfinals. Is it proving the old adage that you should never go back? Some people have said that, but I'm not afraid of that. Players throw the toys out the cot. They're not going to be in my squad for too long. You called England bottle jobs. Did I say that? I waste time talking about this. The Gats has already said Wales are going to win, and I'm sitting at my seat and going, Oh my God! Could you not have parts of the the, the, the stands that were integrated? So, what are you going all woke on us here? <laughs> You've gone woke there, mate. You've been in the studio for too long. You've gone all woke. This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So, with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way, and more importantly, so might you. Joining me in today's episode, a legendary rugby coach on the international stage, winning multiple Six Nations titles and reaching two World Cup semi-finals. He's also led the British and Irish Lions on three separate occasions. And this September, he'll be taking Wales to the World Cup final. Juan Gatland, welcome to Upfront. Thanks, Simon. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your World Cup schedule. One of the things that we do, Warren, in this show from the outset, because it's all a it's all about elite people predominantly and how they've got to where they've got to and what made them. So walk me through Warren Gatland and what has been the making or the challenges and the journey that you've been on to be where you are today. I suppose growing up in New Zealand, I came from a, a pretty humble background. Um, my father took me to the local rugby club when I was five years of age. Uh, I didn't really know about football or anything right. like that. It was kind of... Rugby, everyone, just, everyone basically played rugby and cricket. That was kind of like uh, growing up. Uh, you played uh, your rugby in bare feet. You didn't graduate into a pair of rugby boots until you were sort of 10 years of age. Right. And uh, when I got a little bit older, I got into cricket and right. played a lot of cricket. Uh, played to a pretty high level in, in rugby and cricket. Wasn't quite sure which way I was going to go. I was going to have a choice. Was I going to go the cricket route and end up going um, the rugby route? What determined that? Just the opportunity, really. It was had played provincial cricket, playing sort of involved in rugby, and then for me, you know, right from a really early age, I was incredibly competitive. Right, I, I wanted to win. Yeah, it didn't matter what it was. Um, if I was at school and the score was being kept, I wanted to be on the winning side. And if if a teacher wasn't keeping the score or the result, I lost interest pretty quickly. So, um, yeah. That, and that I don't know where that came from, but I was I was pretty driven and, and pretty competitive about wanting to be successful. Is there a different makeup to the Southern Hemisphere culture than there is to the Northern Hemisphere in terms of their approach? And I'll tell you why I asked that question because I've had a lot of experience of Antipodeans, and it's been really good experiences. And every time I see an Antipodean being indexed to a job or doing a job and having had them work with me and for me, I just think that the straightforward mentality of there's no excuses, there's no reason for people to not put their best foot forward. You, you kind of know when you're in a conversation with an Antipodean yeah. because they tend to mean what they say and say what they mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the, probably one of the greatest things is, is, and I talk to often our players, is about how powerful peer pressure is. Yeah. They're not afraid to call their teammates out and yeah. 
point a finger and just say, hey, that's no, that's not good enough. As a coach, are you an advocate of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's the biggest thing that if, if we can get a leadership group or group of players that that take control, they set the standards, they demand the standards. And and for me as a coach, you know, I, I want to be the last, if I, you know, if I've got to step in, then hopefully that's only at a, in a serious situation. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the last step, the last line in, in terms of that. If we can get the players doing that, then um, that, that solves 90, 95% of any issues that you have within a team. And, and particularly... Uh, some of those older, experienced players. Actually, I spoke to the players last week in, in terms of them. Uh, said you know, the, the highest-paid sports people in the world, uh, the ones who have the longest careers, they have the most caps. There's no coincidence about them who are the most successful. There's no coincidence that they do all the extras. They do the most prehab, the yep. most rehab. They do uh, extras after training. They look after their diet. They watch themselves. They do the stretching, um, and. And it's the Gary Player mentality, isn't it? Yeah. 100%. You played 17 times for the All Blacks, yeah. but you never played in any Test Internationals. Yep. Does that, I mean, obviously, Sean Fitzpatrick is a difficult one to dislodge, right? But does that rankle with you? No, not or at did all. You, have you used it going forward as a coach? It's been great for me as a coach. It's kind of in what been, way? Um. I always joke when I've asked, been asked, I say I was a better player than Sean Fitzpatrick. And, right. and, and the reason I say that is because the hardest thing as, as a coach is, is selection because you know that people are going to be disappointed. They, they, they're going to be upset potentially about the team that's been picked. But I understand that and I've experienced that sort of uh, that disappointment. But it's then how do you respond to that disappointment? Yep. You know, if, uh, The adversity. Yeah. yeah, and how do you work harder? How do you how do you keep um, knocking on the door? But the last thing that, and I said, if players throw the toys out the cot, they're not going to be in my squad for yeah. too long. So, uh, you know, you've got to put that disappointment behind you, and then then your role and your responsibility for the rest of the week is to do whatever it takes and whatever you can do to help that team prepare for um, for the match on, on the weekend. And so, yeah, in those days there were. It was only injury replacements, and mm. so you only got on if, if that player got injured. Yeah. And Sean Fitzpatrick never, never got, got injured. injured yeah. No, um, but I, I kind of look and go, um, I, I'm I'm so grateful for the experiences that I had, being an All Black, you know, playing those games, yeah. going on tours, and what I learnt just from really. They were really, really simple life lessons. Were you grateful at the time? Or have you been grateful in retrospect? Oh, I know. I was. I was yeah. grateful at the time. Yeah, I was kind of like, I can remember looking out at the window uh, on a of an all black bus on tour, and there was only a thousand people outside, and I just went, looked at, and the first thing I thought is, you know, just don't take this for granted, mm. um, appreciate it, and like I said those some of the simple things, simple life lessons that you learned and. My first uh, meeting uh, with an All Blacks uh, team it wasn't with the coaches. It was with a group of the whole whole team of players together where the senior players basically led the meeting and they talked about the responsibility of the jersey, yep. the history, what it meant. Um, I remember one of the players saying at a, a, in this meeting, said, you're better off never being an All Black than to be considered a bad one. And I kind of went, wow. 
Right. Yeah. And, but, and, but then just the, the things, just the simple life things. So when the coach said to you, run to the line and back, you ran to the line and back. You didn't stop sh- six inches short, short. If he said, run around the field, you ran around the field. You didn't cut the corner there because the messages were, if you take a little shortcut at training. We're going to do on a pitch. Yeah. When it gets tough. Yeah. And for me, they weren't just rugby lessons or sport lessons. They're they life lessons. Absolutely. Yeah. Just good. simple, just simple things. So that those those things have always stuck, stuck with you. Stuck with me yeah. and about, you know, working hard. I look back on just how privileged and how lucky I was to have those experiences mm-hmm. and really um yeah, they've definitely moulded me and helped me and made me a better coach as well. Were you a natural born leader by default, by design? I think I had a good understanding. I think I got, had a good understanding of people. I think I was, as as a captain, I was was pretty good at motivating people, pushing the right buttons. I've always felt that I've had a good feel about when to go for, for training, you know, when to push players to the limit, when to be able to pull back, you know, when we needed a tough week, when we needed a lighter week, how do you keep them mentally fresh? A good example of that, um, when I was at Wasps, uh, and I knew, and we had a number of England boys in our team, and Leicester had a lot of England boys in the Leicester team. And the England boys, when um, Clive Woodward was coaching them, they would train on a Monday and Tuesday. When they came back to me, I'd give them Wednesday, and Thursday was our day off. So the first day they would be back into us would be on a Friday. Without me doing anything, the word got around how well our players been looked after. Yeah, they were being kept fresh. The man managed really well, and I kind of just let that kind of feed itself, yeah. you know. When people start talking about those things, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was, it wasn't done to, to um, uh, against any other club. I was just, I was just doing what I thought was the best for my players. That you know how hard they would have trained those first couple of days. That they they needed the Wednesday as a recovery, and Thursday was off. You know, I was just thinking about us as a team and mm-hmm. how it would benefit and what was the outcome yeah but the the impact or the knock-on effect of what everyone else thought we were doing yeah was um beneficial significant mm-hmm. yeah absolutely what what does a leader look like to you both from from from, from the point of view of your space oh, for me. and for people that play for you oh i want great people around me yeah i do mold people a little bit but sometimes that molding takes a little bit of time because i want them to feel by moulding, what do you mean? Setting their standards and asking them to maintain well, it, no, or, just, or, or adjusting the way they think? Yeah, or just yeah. Sometimes I'm they, they might not be quite where I want them to go in terms of some of their coaching and some yeah. of their thought. But that I don't come in. I'm not. I don't come in heavy handed and go. No, I don't. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. I will subtly have discussions about. Have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about that? And I'm not talking about. I'm only talking about the small points. I mean, I'm talking about. Getting really good people who who I know are going to be good, but I want them to have ownership. I want them to feel like they're in charge of what they're doing. I'm comfortable being challenged, mm-hmm. and I want them to challenge me. To what me. degree? Oh, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind to being challenged about any anything, and I, I'm comfortable with players challenging me as well because I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge my coaches, so they should feel comfortable challenging me, and the players should feel comfortable. Challenging me or disagreeing with me. Uh, I don't know everything about the game, so you know, big players come to me and go, ask me a question. I go, I don't know the answer to that. What do you think? That 
in itself, you know, you get a lot of people who think they're the leader. Oh, I, I need to know everything. I need to know mm. the answers for everything. And, and you don't. But as a group, as coaches and, and whatever, we might have strong debate and discussion. We might always agree on selection. We might not always agree on how things, the way we might want to do things. But it's a robust discussion and mm. debate. But when we've made a decision, we've made it collectively, then we all support but each other. Lead, but there was a leader at the top of it all, wasn't there? Oh, it, yeah. it has to be. Yeah. There has to be kind of like, um, you know, sometimes you've got to make make those hard calls. But I, I find that nearly all of it is we're all, all on the same page with, you know, the having a consensus where we all yeah. believe and buy into it. Talking about challenges and talking about overcoming things, you've lost 10% of your squad now through injuries. And you've lost your captain. How challenging is that for you? Oh, I don't think it is challenging at all. I think it's exciting. Tell me why. Is it an antipodean mentality? Yeah. Half half full glass? Oh, I just think that um, there's, there's a change in the squad. We had a group of players that were coming towards the end. You know, they, were, they had been great players for us. What, Alan Wynne-Jones? Alan Wynne-Jones. Yeah. Um, whether it was Ken Owens, Justin Tibbet, yeah, Justin Tibbet, yeah, I mean, the sort of sort of mid thirties and you know even a bit older than that. Um, whether we would have got through next year or not, so um, whether they would have got through to the World Cup, but I, I, we've got a group of youngsters that have come through, and they're, they're training the house down. They've brought a different dynamic, a different amount of energy. So I, I'm I'm never someone who looks back. I never someone who uh, if it, I wish he wasn't injured or I wish he didn't give up. I wish he didn't Just deal with the hand that's been dealt, right? And move on. Yeah. You have to do that at this level. You yeah. have to do that in sports. So let other people worry about those things. Let other people talk about those things. I, I, I can't afford to waste energy and time about things that I can't change. You get a very early taste of coaching, don't you? At 26 with Galoegians. How did that come about? And how did that fit into the phase of your career? 26 years of age. To be starting to look at coaching is quite young, isn't it? Yeah, I think I was always destined to be a coach. I was, uh, I'd captain a lot of teams, often coaches that that coached me. You know, would ask my opinion and advice about things. So, yeah, that was sort of towards the end of a an all black uh, tour. Um, Galwegians were looking for a player coach. I said I was twenty six. I was teaching back in New Zealand at the time, and said, yeah, it'd be great. Great life experience, so resigned. Have boots will travel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Resigned my teaching job. You know, people uh, in Ireland couldn't believe that I resigned uh, my job to go, you know, for five or six months there because I think at that time I think unemployment in Ireland was about twenty percent mm. and interest rates about twenty percent. But that's kind of, I suppose, the Kiwi way, really. You know, just an adventure. Have a go. Yeah, yeah, have a go, and so. Yeah, I did that uh, for four years, going backwards and forwards. The only downside was eight winters in a row. But uh, mm. um, yeah, it kind of really got me on 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 the coaching the coaching journey, and I suppose the the the, the teacher training that I'd had, kind of in the right. organisation, the structure, and things. And then, how did I apply some of the things that I wanted to do? Did you have any chat? I mean, because it, it strikes me. Um, and I, again, I, I can't help it, Warren. I, I equate a lot of sports to football, and not always in the most positive way. And by that, I mean it strikes me in in rugby that it's a culture that's steeped in respect, whether it's between the players themselves or whether it's recogni- recognition of authority. But 
the translation and the respect that's needed to be a coach at 26 years of age, were you qu- quickly able to get that from your charges and the people that well, you were working with? I think the fact that I was an all black, I probably had a yeah, had, had got a, some cash. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's kind of you got got a little bit of uh, you got a little bit of credit in the bank to to start with. And for me as a as a but co- you know as well as I do that that credit if, as soon as you open yeah. your mouth and say something that's bloody stupid, the players <laughs> will be looking at it Absolutely. from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and, and I always promised myself um, and always did as a coach that I would never coach the things that I didn't like as a player. You know, so uh, I didn't such as such as I didn't mind training hard, right? Right, that's um, a prerequisite, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hated long training sessions, right? You know, I, I uh, if training sessions went on for too long and they lost the intensity, right? I got bored, and I kind of went through the the game had gone, and I was lucky enough to have a couple of good coaches that. Um, Probably at that time, board and uh, organisation and structure and planning to session. So I'd, and, and that's my teaching background. You know, I'd plan a session, say, right, boys, this is what we're doing today. We're going to go for um, 60 minutes or 70 minutes. We're going to be doing this, 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 this drill and pretty much keep to times. So they knew exactly what they're doing. This is the intensity we're looking for. I wanted to make it enjoyable. I wanted to make it fun. And I wanted them, you know, the amateur, I wanted them to come back. And in those times, uh, that was that was the biggest challenge. But was it an easy transition for you? Surprisingly, it was. Yeah. Well, it probably helped. The, the first when I went to Norwegian, I think we won our first thirteen games in a row. So that kind of uh, that helps. Yeah, yeah. That bet you in yeah. nice and easy. And, yeah, and um, the first night, the first day I arrived there, I said to the manager, "You know how many how many people are you expecting at training?" He said, "Oh, about 30. I said, oh, "Okay." So the thing that happened it was probably the best thing for me and for them as well is that. On the Saturday, we had a game. I couldn't play the first couple of games. So on the Saturday, I said, uh, right, we'll meet at um, Hubbard's 10, and the bus leaves uh, the club rooms at 11 o'clock, and we had, a, I think, about an hour and a half to go to a place called Sligo on the bus. At Hubbard's 10, when the meeting was supposed to, when we were supposed to be there to meet, uh, there was me and four other players. Right. At 11 o'clock, uh, there was 13 of us, and I went, right, bugger this, I'm a Kiwi we're on the bus. I said, we haven't got any running. I said, I don't care. Look at what we got, yeah. Just get on the bus yeah. and go. And so a few players arrived a little bit later and um, they, they got in their cars and picked up a, a couple of stragglers and they ended up turning up. And But when I got there, I got, got in the front of the bus. I said, I've just come from an all-black tour. I know the game's amateur. Yeah. If I go back to New Zealand and say we had a team meeting at Hub Bus 10. turn up, yeah. And 11 o'clock, the bus was going. We drove out the bus out at the gate for 13 players. That'd be a laughing stop. Yeah. So, either I get on the plane tomorrow and uh, go back, or we decide to take yeah. this seriously. Yeah. And I'm not talking about stupid serious. So, and so, find all the players that were late. What was the reaction? When you know, obviously, because if they if they if they're coming, if you're saying turn up at 10:30, and they didn't. It's obviously because they felt they didn't have to, right? Well, I think this is the way they always did things, yeah. and they had, didn't have any. So what was their reaction to this new sheriff well, in town? Yeah, uh, well, I know a few of the older players who were a lot older than me at the time, sort of late late twenties, early thirties, kind of looked at each other as sitting in the back of the bus and going, "Oh my God, we've got to write one yeah. here." It was kind of they told me about that afterwards. Um, 
and they've and they've actually become great mates of mine and and things and some of the stories that we we tell and stuff. Um, but yeah, they bought into it, understood because we're all on the same page. You know, everyone everyone understood what the boundaries were. If you understand what the boundaries are, then you go a long way to to making sure that you don't have to deal with any issues. There's, it's it's black and white. There's no there's well, no grey. You know, if you're fair and consistent with people, they know where they stand. If you've got the courage, your convictions, you deal with people properly and you say what you mean and mean what you say, there'll be some people that won't follow it and there'll be some people that you, you don't want to follow it because they're not worth your time anyway. Yeah. But I think if you're clear in life, I think most people can be, and, and in sports, I think that's very specific because I think if you want winners, you've got to be able to tell them good and bad, right? Yeah, and sometimes, you, sometimes you've got to follow through with some of the things that you, you say. I remember yeah. 2011, uh, we put a curfew on being back at the hotel at one o'clock. So we had night games, half past seven, game would finish at half past nine. We'd be, we wouldn't get back to the hotel until about 11 o'clock and we'd say to the guys, look, if you want to go for a drink, you're there, but you're back in the hotel by one. Who's that, with the Welsh national with team? With the Welsh yeah. team, yeah. I don't care who you are. If you're out, even if you're drinking water or orange juice, if you're out to three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. You're not going to be fit for purpose. And it, and it doesn't look right. Yeah. Okay, and we said, look, if you come back at one o'clock and the bar's still open, you can have a beer, yeah. but I want you back there. And I said, if you're not back by one o'clock, then keep walking to the airport because that's where you're going to be yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And and the reaction to that was? They were all back by one yeah. o'clock, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, that, and you know, thankfully I didn't have to, you know, do that. But yeah. but some, at some sometimes you've, you've got to be prepared to do it. Yeah. You can't say something to somebody and then not do it because no. the moment you do that, you're done, right? Yeah, and you lose you lose respect. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think they've seen me in the past that have been prepared to make tough calls and tough decisions and stand by them. You know, and um, probably probably the biggest thing for me, and and people do, often you get coaches they 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 talk the talk but they don't walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And for me, one thing that I that I always say to all our players whenever they come in. Uh, about how privileged and how lucky we are to be involved in professional sport and to do what we do. But the most important thing, the thing that's more important than rugby is your family. Mm-hmm. And whatever issues that you've got, got at home or if, you, if your partner's having a scan or someone's sick or a death in the family, whatever, your dog's sick, you know, um, come and see us and we can we can help support mm-hmm. things. You know, even, if, even if there's issues and relationship issues, and because for me, by giving what seems to them a lot, by me giving a little, I get so much more. Is that because you believe in that principle or is it, or is it because you know the value of what they what it means to them? A bit of both. Yeah? Yeah, a bit of both. I, I, I had the experience in Galway. Um, our first daughter, Shauna, was, um, she was born in Galway and we didn't know at the time we had scans and stuff. She was born with spina bifida. Right. And... They'd spent a lot of money as a club, and we were going through some playoffs and, and promotion playoffs, and um, and that, and those playoffs were coming up, and so she was in the hospital. And members of the club came to me and said, "Oh, you got to go home." And my first reaction was, um, "We've got these playoffs coming up," and they went, "No, your family's more important." Mm. So we t- went home and we got her settled and stuff. And about three weeks later, I rang the club up and said. Do you want me to come back in the playoffs? And they said, Would you do that? And I said, Yeah, I would. And it wasn't until 
I realized what they had done for me yeah. that I wanted to give it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I came back. Um, was three ga- three playoff games we had to play. I've played in the first two. He won them. I didn't have to play in the last one. And flew back back to New Zealand, and so um, I said, like, if things are right at home with the players, and it's their base in it. Yeah, and their it's partners are happy, and the, yeah. they feel that they're being looked after. Then I get a much better product product at training, and mm-hmm. I get a better performance uh, in the weekends as well. Where does being the head coach of the British and Irish Lions rank in terms of personal achievements for you? Oh, it's uh, it was an unbelievable honour. You know, um, yeah. you know, it's something that I'm really proud of. I'm really proud of that involvement. Obviously, the lo- a lot of time that I'd spent in the Northern Hemisphere, the time we'd lived in Ireland, and opportunity to to coach you know, the players from four nations and to bring them again. I, I, I never took that for granted. I think it's, it's something I feel passionate about that it's the one team that still has the traditional ethos and values that goes and plays and tours that used to happen during the amateur days. And, um, and I think we need to do whatever we can to keep promoting it and, and keep protecting it because it's, it's unique. And, um, you know, I'm just, you know, really grateful and, and really, you know, thankful for the opportunities I had to be involved with that team. How have you squared the circle between, because there's been times when you stepped out of the Welsh job, haven't you, and gone into the British Lions? Yes. And then come back in the Autumn Internationals? Yeah. My first reaction to that was if I was the Welsh rugby board, I'd be like, well, how does that suit me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I tell you what, it was good for me because. Yeah. I was in Wales for twelve years initially, and that's a long time to be in that. So the 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 the, the Lions thing was good for me mentally. Yeah, it was good for me to go step back, do something, get re-energized, work with other coaches and other players, and see what's going on, and that, and then come back re- refreshed. I think that was that's kind of the the approach that yeah. I had it. I it was and and in fairness to Welsh, I mean they're incredibly supportive for me to be able to do that, and then. I guess if you win four Six Nations, yeah, the backstory's there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But then I, if we hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have been the Lions coach. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a – and then I had some, some fantastic coaches to work with, and then there was an opportunity for them, for their development and their opportunity to, to – when we were away with the Lions, then, then Wales were involved in other games and for, it was a chance for them to step up mm-hmm. and, and – And develop their skills. Absolutely, and be mm-hmm. part of their development. Yeah. So, um, Succession management, I suspect, yeah. in some respects, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but – Yeah, just it's, I sort of thought, saucy sod. How does he get to do that? <laughs> I, if I'm the Welsh rugby board, I'd be like, well, I want you here. Yeah. Doing this job and building up my team, but – Yeah, but then you think about it and go, how good it is, how good is it for Wales where – you know, the smallest tier one nation in the world with the smallest population with the mm. with the least resources. You know, we, we don't have got his head coach captain of British Lions. Yeah. yeah. You know, we don't have major industries. We don't yeah. even have our own bank in Wales. Mm. And look at the success we've had. Then we've mm. got the British and Irish Lions coach. We should be celebrating that. You know, you don't you don't want to 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 hold that back. And um so the support I had from from them from the board in the past has been absolutely fantastic. Which well, obviously a relationship works because here you are back there again. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. If yeah, that, maybe that was your greatest decision or wisest <laughs> one. Um, it leads me into your relationship with Eddie Jones. Yep, big characters. 
rivals. Is rivalry in the dugout important in sport? I think I think a lot of it's about a lot of it's created by the media. Eddie and I have been out for you know drinks together and uh, and meals in the past, and and I enjoy his company. Yeah. You know, I don't always agree with everything he says and he does, but that's that's sports. You know, how do you sort of separate the two and things? You know, we have. Uh, I remember going to Six Nations launches and you, you're going up to do a bit of a press conference and like, go on, Eddie, get in there, make it a little bit easier for me. Um, because you've traded barbs, haven't you? Yeah, we have traded. And, yeah. and, and, I mean, some of the comments are quite funny. I mean, you know, you know, send my best wishes to Warren and make sure he enjoys the third and fourth playoff and comments like that. And obviously there's a few things that you said coming back to him on observations. Has it ever well, gotten, that- has it ever gotten to the point where it's personal? No, I don't think... And he's got on your bloody nerves. Or... No, what I was... What... I was asked about that, and uh, that was after the World Cup, you know, before the World yep. Cup final. Yeah. And I thought that England in the semi-final against the All Blacks were amazing. I just thought they were brilliant. You know, when Eddie made that comment, I wasn't being critical. I was kind of saying, sometimes teams play their finals before they actually played the final and just being aware of that. It was giving them, I was actually giving them a bit of advice. Yeah. So, it's a bit strong. You called England bottle jobs, though, isn't it? What's that? The, you called England bottle jobs. Did I say that? Mm. that? That must have been something the press said. It's not a word I would ever use. This yeah. is this is what you said. So I've drawn the inference of bottle jobs, but this is this is what you've said. I look back on England in the last few years when it's really mattered. I've questioned whether they can win these big games. Yeah, which is basically your bottle jobs. <laughs> it's an interesting comment for one manager to make about. It's something very alien, and it's that's why I'm interested to see where that comes from and what the motivation was for saying it because you just beat them. Yeah, well, kind of, uh, yeah, it might have been. I think that in a game where sometimes you you question, like you said, their mental toughness mm. or something like that, if that has a small percentage of... Gets some, in their ribs. Or some people believing in that. Yeah. I remember, I, I tell you really, I tell, same thing. Uh, it was that year, actually, 2019. Because our first two games were away uh, to France and Paris, and then the next game was um, Italy and Rome. And I went to a rugby writers' dinner, and they said to me, "Would you do a Q and A?" And so I went on the Q and A, and they said, "How do you think you're doing the Six Nations?" And I, I, I honestly believe this. I said, "If we beat France in the first game, I didn't say win the Grand Slam. If we beat France in the game, I think we'll win the, yeah. the Six Nations." I, I believe that, and but I was thinking, if my players see that. As a, as a quote, and the coach is saying that, and that has a little bit of a positive impact on that. that that's kind of what I was... Job done. Yeah, yeah. job done. Yeah. Now, an hour later, uh, Johnny Sexton gets awarded, comes up for an award. He got World Rugby Player of the Year. Uh, he gets, um, you know, they're doing an interview. So oh, how do you think um, Ireland will go in the Six Nations? And Johnny said, oh, I waste time talking about the Six Nations. Gats has already said Wales are going to win. And I said to myself, again. Oh my God! Yeah, I've done a job on him. You know, if he, if in some small way, right? Okay. If some yeah. small way, he's thinking that he's bought into that. Yeah, he's bought into that. Yeah. And we played them in the last game in the Six Nations. He didn't have a great game, and um, you know, we beat Ireland and, and win the Grand Slam. And kind of thinking, so you know, sometimes it's it, it is little wee mind games. You do get caught up with the press a little bit because. They paraphrase. They do. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> there might be something in the uh, press conference where Eddie 
would have been asked a question and myself gets asked, they paraphrase and when they say, Eddie said such and such and you go, oh, hang on a minute. Then when you read the comment afterwards, you go, oh. That's not quite what he said. No, it's not exactly. quite what he meant. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So there's... You're looking forward to seeing him in a World Cup? Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, we've had some... Um, some battles. Some great battles mm. over the years. Uh, look, he's... I think we're, when he's gone into different environments, uh, he's always had a, a quite a significant yeah, impact. Um, you know, hasn't always stayed uh, in places a long time because I think he's so demanding. Yeah. He can be, um, you know, want the best out of people. But, if, but I think when that, you know, starts to, to not be, can be yeah. successful, it can... There's a balance, there's a timeline, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, yeah. you know, you're just pushing people so hard. Yeah. And, and you burn them out. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, but, you know, I think at international rugby... Um, what did you make of his comments last year about private schools and rugby, particularly in England? I, I think he had a point and he was vilified for it and they hung him out to dry and they used it as an excuse, I think, to get rid of him and, and build that narrative up that was already there in the first place. What was your take on it? Um, I, I, look, I could see what he, was, what he was saying in terms of that. Uh, I, I looked at it a different way. When you, when you get a private schoolboy playing rugby who's playing the game for the love of the game not for the money yeah they are gold right absolutely gold and I'll give you a Fraser Waters um, family lived in Jersey went to Harrow whatever came out you couldn't find a tougher more competitive player and those are the sort of players I want you know that uh, you know how do you how do you breed them how do you create mm. them because he's not he's not playing professional rugby because money is earning. He's, he's doing it because he wants to. He wants to and he yeah. wants to be a winner. That yeah. that's that was my experience yeah. of um guys coming out of from uh you know he's probably had more experience than that to be able to make that climb. But it wasn't wasn't what I had had seen from my time living in, in London and the experience that I, I think had the point he was making and the reason why I concurred with it was the ability to be able to overcome adversity and to think yourself away through problems. If you've got a life of relative privilege, yeah. then solutions are often provided for you. But there's also the other side of the argument, which he was talking about in relatability to English players, was the inability to solve problems at key moments. And that comes from a background of not having had to have done it yeah. to some extent. Talking about challenges, I mean, is a double-edged sword for you. You, Wales and the World Cup. I mean, your first spell against your current spell is a little bit like night and day, isn't it? Is it proving the old adage that you should never go back? Um, some people have said that, but, I, but I'm not afraid of that. I kind of people, a lot of people said, oh, are, you, "Are you worried that you were going to tarnish what you what achieved, achieved in yeah. your reputation?" I, I don't care about that. It's not. So what? What made you go back? They asked. Uh, I put so much into probably heart and soul, and, and the people, and the fans, and and everything. And I just thought I, I'm driven, but kind of uh, am I driven a little bit more at the moment? Yeah, I might not say too much of that publicly, but we're working our butts off at the moment. There's no expectation. We've been proud of what we've achieved in the past. Yeah, we have. We've we overachieved as a, as a nation. Yes, we have. Uh, and and so there's a lot of negativity there at times that that I, that frustrates me. When you coach international sport, or particularly, and the football managers will tell you exactly the same thing. Is that the greatest thing about uh, the World Cup and the preparation? It feels the first time like you're back at a club side, like you're doing pre-season. The 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 in-depth stuff and the detail that you can do 
and that sort of two or three months that you're together building for the World Cup, and that's what that, that's what um, I'm excited about at the moment. But when you go into a Six Nations campaign, you got the players that come in for two weeks, and so you got to you've just got to prioritise in terms of what are the things that are important that we've got to get ourselves ready in such a such a short term. So, to me, coming back in a World Cup year was um, probably was probably um, the biggest reason, the biggest decision that. I said yes to, to doing because I, I felt like I could make a real difference here right. in that period. You set targets in your mind beforehand. Yeah. You do? I set realistic targets. Yeah. And then... To whom? To them or to yourself? To both. Right. So what's our target? Our targets, you'd have our group mate. Yeah, group, yeah. Make yeah. quarterfinals. Yeah. I've been involved with teams that, you know, before the other team, you know, you get a psychologist come in and you get sitting there and you've got a group of players and saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to win this. We're going to win that. And it, you know, win a World Cup, and I'm going. Oh my God, I don't even believe that. <laughs> Do you believe in sports psychology? Uh, done in the right way. Yeah, um, I think it can be powerful and giving clear, distinct messages. For people learning from those things, but I also think with psychology as well is that I don't want players to have to use psychology or have it as a crux where they're relying on it. It's kind of like. Yeah, sometimes you go through some issues where they might want to build some confidence to talk to mm-hmm. someone, but then how do you? They're making sure that person says, "My job now is to to wean them off me and, and always be available." But uh, I've In seen the end, they've got to do it, haven't they? Yeah, and I've seen sometimes where it's. All, I've always, I've sometimes felt that you know, a mental skills person or psychologist is there, almost being, uh, like I said, that crux for that person where they're always there, always there, and. And I'm not sure that when I, what I've seen is that relationships always been 100% healthy for mm. the player or or for the team. Now you took Wells to the World Cup semi final in 2019. This time round, what constitutes success for you? Well, we've got to get past. We're in a good side of the draw, so we get to the quarterfinals, and that we've got a good chance to to go to go a long way. And the thing with the Welsh boys is that for them. They build on momentum, they build on yep. confidence, and they start they start really believing. And there's a great there's a great, um, and I haven't shown the players this year. The, after the World Cup in 2019, we played in South Africa in the semi final, and Razi Erasmus, you know, he gets up and says, "These boys are tough. You know, they're not going away. They won't give up. They're not soft like England and Ireland and Scotland. Yeah, you know, they're tough. Mm. They just don't, they don't know when to give up." And it's a video I've got to show our guys again. That's where I, I, I you know, when, when I see that, I'm pretty proud of. That's right. I was going to say that's an embodiment of you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah what yeah, people yeah. thought about us. And we probably, that slipped a little bit, and we need to get back to what people think about us. When it comes to half time in games, yep. and you go in there, and, and it's that moment to reset and rethink, what's your culture in there? What's your approach to that? Well, there's a couple of things. There's, there's, there's always a lot of emotion, isn't there? So kind of like I, I come in there, I don't want anyone talking. I want the players get in there and uh, get some, some water, get some recovery. Rehydration. Yeah. Rehydration. Yeah. A couple of things you've got to get get your thoughts together. Then we might have um, a little bit of time. So there might be um, the forwards might come together and a little bit of chat about how things are going, how's the scrum going, how's their line going, the backs talking about a couple of little wee things. Then we might give one or two points on defence, one or point two points on attack, I might give one or two points at the end. So clear, concise, 
messages, things that you can understand, and and things that's that's me. Um, I'm a, I'm a great believer in don't overcoach. Right. Don't give too much information. How much how, how much information can people tell? I don't have meetings for too long because, you know, like I said, I was a, a school teacher. And I know uh, you, you're sitting in the. Yeah, you know, I was basically coached. I taught twelve and thirteen year old kids. The saturation point. Yeah, twelve and thirteen year old kids. They sit there and you're giving you're giving a lesson. They can concentrate for about twenty minutes and they start glancing over. Yeah, players are like exactly mm. the same thing. So how much how much information can they take on board? So those things are important for me. I can remember um, Sean Edwards. I did a lot of coaching with him. Great great coach, and he used to put out a um, tip sheet on defence when he was coaching defence. And he came to me one day and he said. Uh, here's my um, defence sheet. He used to put a sheet on all the players' um, cubby holes where they were getting changed. And I, I read through the sheet and there was about 12 points on there. I went and I turned it over and I went, Sean, I've just read through that sheet and I can't remember one point on there. And I said, if you pick out two or three or four of the most important points there, I'll probably remember them yeah. and so will the players. Yeah. So, you know, in fairness to him, he went away. So that's going to say about, you know, he was a great advocate great advocate in terms of not overcoaching, not giving too much information and, and making sure we, you know, give clear, direct, concise points. Is it fine margins in these sort of tournaments? Absolutely. So if I go back to 2011 where we should have made the World Cup final where Sam Orbiton sent off in the, in the semi-final against France and we lose the game 9-8. Uh, we lose the opening game of that tournament to South Africa, sixteen fifteen, and and I'm still convinced the penalty goal went over that was disallowed by uh, the touch judge. And then we're playing uh, two games later. We're playing Samoa, who are a really good team, and we're down at half time. We lose that game, we're out of the World Cup, and yet we go on to probably you know make could have made the final. Maybe maybe if we made the final, you never know what would have happened. But I go down to the change room at half time, and Sam Warburton has the players in a huddle, and he just said, "I said, come in there," and he's there, and he goes, "We're not going home. We haven't gone through this pain. We haven't gone through the hard work that we've put into this uh, tournament. We are not going home." He said, "Looks and all that. We are not going home." And I said back, "Went, well, I don't need to say anything." That'll yet. do, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like Martin Johnson lining up at Croke Park, isn't yeah. it? The wrong way and not moving for the Irish. Yeah. That'll do. Yeah. Yeah, That'll exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we we'll out. I mean, we've gone out and played well in the second half and, you know, have won that. And, and the coach gets all the credit. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. Don't, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, was, I was brilliant at half time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people, what did you say at half time? You must have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said bugger all. I didn't need to say anything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, because you set it up already, and yeah. if you've got players, if you've got players in your side that have got that attitude, then that's a reflection of the cre- of the culture you created in the first place, isn't it? It's yeah. a reflection of them, but it's also a reflection of the environment. Yeah, hopefully. And then try how do you create that self belief, and how do you create that that will and want, and uh, that's kind of been my thing with with the Welsh boys in the past that, that they've never they've never shied away from the hard work. And we've said, oh, you know, I often say if you ask them to run for a brick wall, they the, the question would be, all right, what do you want us to yeah. do when we get to yeah, the other the side? side yeah. not, not why, yeah. 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 And, and, um, so you can work with that though, can't you? Oh, you can work with that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But you've got to, but they've got to believe in you. Yeah. You've got to, how do you got to create that? And you've got to create that belief in you and your staff and people around the environment that you create. If you're able to, to do that, then 
I think you could, all of you can go on a journey that sort of can, you know, hopefully do something that's special, create yeah, something. To it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, we're going to have our ups and downs because we're not the biggest playing nation in the world, and we're going to get retirements and players and injuries, and that doesn't that doesn't always help. But to me, it's not about winning. So I'm, going to, I'm trying to change a bit of the narrative of this group at, at the moment because they've been under a bit of pressure. And sometimes you go into press conferences and the question, oh, is this a must-win game? Do you have to win this game? And I go, well, yeah, sometimes it has been. But for me at the moment is I don't, I'm not going to focus on winning. What I want us to do is and, and to create some of the things I spoke about, means we're tough. I want us to become a really tough team to beat. Yeah, and then you'll win. Yeah. yeah. To get the fundamentals. Yeah, if you become yeah. really hard to beat and you start working for each other. The rest will take care of itself. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. Hey, have you thought about coaching some rugby? You might be actually quite good. <laughs> I don't know, mate. It's, um, it's easier to say. It's more difficult yeah. to do it. Yeah, so just those sorts of um, – if we can get, if we can get uh, a lot of those fundamentals right in terms of um, on the within the team, we'll do okay. Talking about, I mean, uh, the overall culture, moving on from the World Cup, moving on from Wales, to looking at the overall culture and some of the things that rugby does differently than other sports. Um, I think this is true, but I, I'm keen to hear what you think um, or whether you think it's the obligation of rugby to have this sort of moniker. It's held up as the bastion of respect in sport. Do you think that's right? I watch the footballers and I watch the, the current culture of referees being put behind the eight ball all the time, the lack of respect that seems to be in place. Yet rugby doesn't seem to have that challenge at all. I reckon you can fix it up in football in... How? Three months. How? Yellow card, red card, lose the game. Yellow card, red card for language, for intimidation. You know, if you want to fix a game, and if you see you see that that's the same thing happens in rugby, all of a sudden... Uh, they, there's a rule change, or you know, there, and a player gets yellow carded or penalised on a regular basis. The coach says, "If you don't, if you don't, if you don't cut that, or you don't stop it. You don't be selected, and you'll yeah. be off." And within a very short period, the 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 attitude or the or what doesn't matter your team, whatever team's doing, it changes so quickly because it's all about performance and result. And if you don't change it, if you don't change your, your ways or is it also to do with finances as well, though? Because when you're in a situation with football where there's so much money, and it, you know, I mean, you rugby boys must look across there sometimes and yeah. and look at the football players rolling around on the pitch, look at all the histrionics that go on and go, what's that all about? But the overriding aspect of being able to change something, because I'm with you, I'm like, if you want to change something, damn well change it and have the courage of your convictions to do it and do whatever it takes to do it. And if that means people have to be given a yellow card every time they open their trap. Right to a referee, give it to them, and pretty soon, people's minds will be concentrated because when they lo- when teams are losing, games are being um, lost as a result of it. And players you, are getting banned, people are getting fined, and if you're getting relegated, then your wages are yeah. going down. All this has, has an impact. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, it, it, it's an easy fix for me. Upfront with me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Eighteen plus. Please gamble responsibly.